I do believe Pastor John standing in the foyer of our brand new building. And believe it or not, it's the first message preached from here that I know of. I don't know, maybe somebody at some point in history has had some kind of a message when it was a call center. But as far as Jubilee, this is the first message uh, from our new church. It's basically done, so much so that I can be here teaching the message right now. And I know that we're having to do this online, and I know that that's not a lot of fun for anybody. It actually reminded me of the birth of our first child, which most know was Amy. Chris was big and pregnant. Amy's birthday is July 1st, so it was the middle of summertime, Colorado. I mean, it's hot. And the week before she was born, uh, Chris had the Braxton Hicks contraction, so much so that we felt like, oh, it's time, it's time, and we were in a panic. I was in a panic. Chris was calm, but I was just like, yeah, I was doing all the things that on TV you see first-time dads do. I was hyperventilating. I'm running back and forth from the house to the car. We forgot this. Did we get this? Uh, my father-in-law had actually come over and had to yell at me, stop it, John, you're making it worse. And we just went through this whole, this whole thing. Go to the hospital. We're all prepared. We've got the baby bag, the whole thing, you know, those who have been through it. Uh, we get to the hospital and we go through a few little tests and they go, nope, it's a trick. It's a trick, trick baby. You have to go back home. And this went on for the next week. And so Chris and I, over the next week, tried to figure all the ways that we could get Amy to be born. I even took her out jogging. So imagine a big pregnant woman in her ninth month in the middle of, well, the beginning of July, hot summer, and I've got her out jogging, trying to get things to move a little bit. And that did not did not help, and it just seemed like it was taking forever. And that pregnancy, our first one, it was lasting forever. When is that baby gonna get here? And all of the different things that went with it. Then, July 1st comes, and our baby girl is born. And the point of this whole thing is simply this. When you hold the baby, when you see the baby, it makes you forget about all the stuff, all the waiting, all of the false contractions, all of the starting and stopping, the things that didn't go the way that you wanted it to go. And so that suddenly you're standing there and you're just like, wow, we've got the baby. This was worth everything. Church, that's where we are right now. I can stand here and I can look around and you can see a little bit of it in the camera view. And I'm telling you right now, it is going to be worth it. The moment you step inside the door here, you will forget all of the ups and downs. You'll forget about the school. You'll forget about all of the moving and the, the starts and the stops and all of the different things that it's taken to get here. When you have the baby, when you hold the baby, it makes it all worth it. And I just thought when I was writing the message, the Lord kind of reminded me of that and how it felt before and how it felt after. And I just want to tell you very soon, you're going to have the baby. You're going to hold the baby. You're going to be in our new baby and you will enjoy this and all the things that went before you will forget about. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. We haven't started a new series yet. I'm actually right now going to just do some one-off messages until we have a little bit clearer picture of when the grand opening is going to be. Now, it, it will be within weeks, not months, not, not, you know, weeks, literally, days, in fact, is what we're coming down to. And I hope that by the time you watch this message, we're actually able to announce uh, when that's going to be, but it will be very shortly. So what I want to do kind of leading up to that is just do some one-off messages about the original vision of Jubilee. So I'm going to kind of take you back in space and time to a couple of different uh, events that were particular in the birth of our church and just remind you of who we are, what the spirit of our church is, and really they speak not only of the past and the present, but they really speak of the future. Why we're doing what we're doing, 
what the whole thing is about. Why have, we, why have we come this far? Why have we built? Why have we pressed forward? Why have we put up with all of the other stuff? We have a destiny in front of us, and it's a destiny that we have to choose. We can't be passive about it. We can't sit around and hope that it happens. Too many people live life that way. The Bible tells us that we can go out and we can possess the land, that the violent take it by force, and that's the idea that it, it can happen. The kingdom of God is forcefully moving, and we have to seize it and move with it. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm going to go with this message. So the first season I'm going to talk about is a dream that I had in 1998. Let me give you the season very quickly. I was the associate pastor at Resurrection Fellowship in northern Colorado. I know many of you have heard this, so I'll condense it real quickly. But it was a dry season for me. And I don't know if you've ever been through a dry season. As a nation, we're kind of going through a dry season right now. And it just seemed like instead of it raining and the reservoir getting full, it seemed like it wasn't raining and the reservoir was ebbing and ebbing. And spiritually in my life, instead of it being full and plentiful, it felt like it was ebbing ever lower and ever lower. And I could see that there, there, was, a, there was not an endless supply. There was a supply that was ending is what was happening. And in that season, I was crying out to the Lord. And many times we complain to the Lord. And many times we complain to other people. And many times we just tolerate drought. And that's really funny because we live in a time where people learn to tolerate drought. And so I, I, I was in a season, I was crying out to the Lord and asking him for rain, for, for the rain of the Holy Spirit in my life. Uh, it seemed like every time uh, I, I had my duties during the day as a pastor, right? But after the office would close, we had a prayer room upstairs. And by the way, we have a prayer room in this building that we purposed so that people can come and pray when they need to pray. And that's all that it's dedicated for is just to pray. I've got so many ideas with that, but I, I'll get sidetracked. But I had this prayer room at the church. And after the office would close, I'd go up the stairs and I'd find the prayer room. And I'd literally just lay on my face before the Lord. And I would cry out to the Lord. Where are you? You know, it just seemed like he was so far away from me. And I don't know if you've ever been through those times. It feels kind of like that time now in trying to get where we're going. It's just dry and it ebbs lower and lower. Where's the rain, God? Where's it going to rain? And I would just cry out on a day-to-day -day basis. And I did this for, seemed like it was two or three months. And instead of it raining, it was like the drought got worse. It just got hotter and it was just going lower and lower. And, I, and frustration, right? Just This is honest, and, and maybe it's just good to be honest. Sometimes we're not honest about where we are with God and what's going on with God. And I think that the Lord respects honesty, not disrespect, but honesty. And in honesty, I stood up and I yelled at the top. Nobody's in the church. It's a big church like this. I just yelled at the top of my lungs, where are you, God? And it sounded just like that. There was no answer. And I was frustrated and I left the room, closed the door, got in my car, drove home. It was January 1998 and it seemed like a day of every other day and all the days that had come before and all the days that were going to come after. Nothing seemed different. But I went to bed that night and I had a dream. And in the dream, Chris and I had gone to hear this speaker and it was some very famous, I, I don't know who it was, right? Even in the, now, I, I don't know who the speaker was, but he was a very famous speaker, uh, someone that was moving and leading the church. And by the time we got there, it was already packed. And I, I was, you know, we were like, oh no, we're not going to get to hear the person. And I had this just, this crazy idea. I took her in my left hand and I used my right elbow as sort of a wedge. And I just pushed my way through the crowd. And it just kind of pushed people to the side, which I know, like, you know, you're a pastor. I was a desperate pastor. 
got up to the very front, and there were two seats, and we sat down. And just as we sat down, the guy began to teach. And I don't remember what he was teaching. I don't remember what he looked like. The only thing that I remember is that in his right hand, he had a staff, not like a shepherd's crook, like the kind you've seen where they pull somebody off the stage or Bo Peep uses to, to get the sheep, but more like a walking stick, right? But it was just really this, this beautiful staff that he held in his hand. And as he walked uh, and he taught, he would use the staff. He didn't lean on it. He just used it, right? And he would just have it, and he'd walk back and forth with it like this. And there were three steps that led down to where everybody was seated. There were thousands of people there. Um, and so as he was walking and, and talking with the staff, I get mesmerized on the staff, and I realize that's the anointing that everybody is talking about. It's that staff. And so I lean over to Chris, and I tell her, that's it. That's what everybody's talking about. It's that staff. It's, that's the anointing. That's the authority. That's, that's the thing that God is using uh, to, to move the church forward. And I mean, it was miracles. It, was, it represented so many things, right? And as he walked by us, he's down teaching. He came down the stairs. And as he walked by us, I was kind of fixated on his staff. And I actually got up and tried to stand in silhouette behind him so I could see the staff. So we walked back up the stairs. He turned around to teach, and I was standing like in perfect silhouette behind him, except that I was leaning over like this, trying to look at the staff. And I was just mesmerized by the staff, the, the anointing, and what it represented. And suddenly I realized everybody in the place was looking at me, and I looked up at the guy that was teaching, and he's looking down at me. And instead of like, you know, like it was this, this terrible moment, I, it was just this like, oh my goodness, what have, I, what have I done? And so I, as quickly as I could, I walked off to go back to my, my chair. And as soon as I stepped off the stage, I was holding the staff. I was holding it in my hands. And I sat down, and I was showing it to Chris, and I was staring at it. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And again, it just represented the anointing. It was, it was, it was this gifting that God had given uh, this particular leader. And suddenly, he's standing right in front of me, and he says to me, right, uh, without like, hey, I need that back or anything, I just, I hand it up to him, and he goes, is this what you want? And I said, sir, my whole life, that's what I've wanted. And instead of a gentle like, well, you can have it, he picked it up and hit me with it, like literally, like, like, whacked me right here, right on the shoulder, between the neck and the shoulder. Now, they say in a dream you don't feel anything, but I'm telling you in this particular dream, I felt fire, like wham! It jarred me, it shook me, it, 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 it like caught me on fire, and I woke up instantaneously, like woke up, I knew I had had a spiritual dream in a season of drought where I'm crying out to God, what does this mean? And I'm gonna just fast forward this real quickly. I, I went to church that morning, I, I'm, I'm like trying to shut myself off so I can get before the Lord. Hey God, what is this, what does this mean? And the weirdest thing, uh, would take place. Like everybody and their brother needed to see me that day. There was an older woman in our church named Fern Burdick, right? That is not a young person. That is an old person. She was probably well into her 80s. And she, she talked to my admin and said, I need to see Pastor John. And I, I let her come back, right? I told my, my admin, don't let anybody back. But if a Fern Burdick needs to see you, you see her. So she came back and she said, Pastor, I had a dream about you last night. Now, I don't know about you, but not many times has an 80-year-old woman had a dream about me. And at the time, I'm in my, my early 30s, right? So that could be a weird story, but this is a good story. And she goes, uh, Pastor John, 
you were standing before the Lord in my dream last night and his hand came out of heaven and his finger was pointed at you and he touched your chest and he began to spin really fast and you caught on fire, Pastor, and it burnt you to a crisp. And I'm like, that's not a good dream. She said, but like a phoenix that came out of the ashes, you came up out of it as a brand new man. And when you spoke from that point on, God had put a new word in your mouth. And Pastor John, God's doing a new thing in you and put a new word in your mouth. Wow. I have this dream. She has the same dream on the same night, you know, about me. But what does it mean? So now I'm really like with my admin, okay, you've got to give me some time to really just process this uh, before the Lord. Now, five minutes later, I get a call from a woman who ran uh, Women's Aglow up in Wyoming. Her name was Diane Eggy. And Diane Eggy, uh, I just have to talk to Pastor John. I've got to talk to him right now. I took the call. Hi, Diane. What's going on? John, I had a dream about you last night. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. What happened in the dream? I'm a little intrigued. Would you be? She said, um, so in the year that King Uzziah died, right? This is, this is Isaiah. Uh, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And I said, woe was me. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And then an angel flew over, took a coal from before the throne room of God, flew over and burned Isaiah's lips. And from that point on, Isaiah had the word of the Lord in his mouth. And she said, John, I saw an angel take a coal from the furnace of God and he burnt your lips. And she said, God's put a new word in your heart, pastor. You are supposed to lead people now. You've got a new word. And I'm like, this is either the freakiest, like weirdest people trying to play a trick on me or God's done something like I've never had happen in my life before, right? So I, I now tell my admin, that's it. Hey, I'm done for the day. I go up to the prayer room. I'm really just, I know God's saying something. I'm so happy that he's saying something, but I have no idea what it means exactly, right? I, without the context, it's exciting, but what does it mean? And I'm laying on the floor before the Lord, just like, God, what is this? What is this? And the only thing that I hear the Lord say, is, John, what's the staff? What's the staff? Man, I've, you know, I've studied the Bible. The only staff I could think of is Exodus 4, Moses and his staff. And if you remember uh, when God comes to Moses and tells him, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to lead my people into freedom. Moses gives God all the excuses. I can't speak. This guy would be better. And God says to Moses, he doesn't argue with him. What's in your hand? Moses had his staff in his hand and God said, lay it before me. And God did the miraculous with the staff. Every time Moses picked it up, it was just a staff. Whenever he laid it down, it did the miraculous. If it needed to be a snake, if it needed to heal, it, it grew branches. It was, it was a miraculous thing. And I knew that the Lord told me instantly, I've put the authority in your hand to lead people. You're going to leave here. You're going to go. This, this part took a little while longer. You're going to go to Denver. You're going to plant a church. But that's what the whole thing was about. And that was the season of 1998. Jubilee was not founded because Pastor John got in a fight with his pastor and needed to go someplace else. I didn't get fired. I didn't lose my job. I wasn't too big for my britches. I didn't think I knew more than somebody else. The truth of the matter is I would have stayed at Res for the rest of my life and helped pastor that church. But God put a word in my mouth to come to South Denver and to plant Jubilee. Now it gets really interesting. Right at that time, I was teaching in the church from the book of Leviticus. And I even said this recently in our church, and I'm speaking so fast, I've got so much right now that I want to cover. But in Leviticus, I was teaching on the year of Jubilee. 
And one of the big things that Chris and I were discussing, what are we going to call this church? Because it seemed like everybody called their church something community church, Greenwood Village Community Church, Cherry Hills Community Church, which, by the way, those are all awesome names. And if that's the name of your church, God bless you, you have a great name. I have a weird one, Jubilee Fellowship Church. So where did Jubilee come from? I'm teaching out of Leviticus 25. Let me read this for you uh, real quick. It says, to count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that, the seventh, uh, so, that the, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded, the shofar, everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim, these are the three things of Jubilee. Proclaim liberty throughout the land to everybody, not just to the Jewish people, but to everybody in the land. Uh, pronounce liberty, freedom. Uh, this will be a jubilee to you. Here's the second promise. Each of you is to return to your family property. The land, remember, to Israel represented the promise. This is God's, his favor, his covenant with Israel has to do with the land, right? The land is not just a piece of land. It's not just the Middle East. This is God's promise to the Jews. And so he's saying to them, in the time of Jubilee, go back to the promises that I gave you. And then the third part of Jubilee uh, was this. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan, to your own family. So I'm actually teaching a series at the time on the year of Jubilee, when the Lord speaks to me about starting the church, and we knew that this church was supposed to be called Jubilee, and it would have these three things. So here they are. First of all, it was a time of freedom for everyone. You do not have to be a believer. You do not have to go to this church. You do not have to even believe that there is a God for me to say to you that God is calling everyone into freedom. And when I talk about freedom, I'm not talking about like, Jesus said when he was called that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointing me to preach good news and to set at liberty the captive. We're to proclaim freedom to everyone who's in captivity. And whether that's captivity to your past, captivity to a habit, captivity to to uh, to the way you grew up or to what somebody told you you could or couldn't do, whether it's captivity to something that's holding you back, a label that was put on you that you've grown up with and you can't outlive it, no one will let you forget about it. God is saying you're free. You're free. South Denver, you're free. We are free and whoever hears this message can be free because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. God doesn't want you living in captivity. He doesn't want you living in a habit, uh, in, in a mindset, uh, in something that's holding you back from what you're supposed to be. God has called you to be free. And that's what this church stood for, stands for, and will always stand for. Walk in the door of this church and you can be set free. Set free from sin. Set free from death. And set free from things that hold you and keep you from becoming all that you want to be. And I preach that message with conviction and with truth. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He wants you to be set free. Now, here's the truth. We've been around 24 years. Much has happened for people to be set free during that time. If I, if, I mean, how, there's so many stories. But I wrote this in my notes. Much has happened, but much more remains to be done. Our best days are in front of us, not behind us. I didn't come to tell you what happened the last 24 years. I've come to tell you what's going to happen in the next 24 years. What God's going to do tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. This isn't the worst time to be alive. It's the best time to be alive. I wrote in my notes, sometimes deliverance 
that isn't instant has to be deliverance that is walked out. And I know that some people think, man, I've heard the message before. God wants to set me free, and yet I'm still bound by things in my past or things in my life. Okay, sometimes they're instant. He breaks them instantly. And sometimes we walk them out just to show that he's God, and he's Lord, and he wants us to lean on him. The bottom line is, it is a time for freedom for all. Uh, In the Bible, the story of the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, a good teacher, What must I do to be saved? And Jesus looks at him and tells him, well, you need to keep the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't steal. You know, he goes through them. And the rich young ruler feels pretty good about himself, like, hey, and he even says out loud to Jesus, all these things I've done. He's feeling pretty good. And then the Bible says this in Mark's gospel, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that. He didn't look at him and judge him. He didn't look down on him. He didn't look at him and compare himself. He looked at him and he loved him. And he put his finger right on the issue. Go and sell all that you have then. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. The Bible says that the rich young ruler was suddenly sad because he had many possessions. Listen to me. When I talk about freedom, most people want a tweak. And God (laughs) is not offering you a tweak God is offering you a complete disruption. So when we talk about freedom, you can't come in and go, okay, I walked in the building, I'm free. No, come to Jesus and you'll be free. Come to Jesus and find what God has for you. He's the creator of your life. He's the one that puts you together. He's the author of the product. He's the one who knows why you exist. Come to him and be free, church. It's not a tweak that we need. It's a disruption that we need. We need Jesus from the top to the bottom, side to side, front to back. This house that I preach in needs not a tweak. It needs a disruption. We need to be disrupted in our church, disrupted in our worship, disrupted in our lives. We need for God to disrupt us and to bring us to our knees in front of him and to fill us and to build us up and to do again what he promised he would do. The second part of that promise uh, was to remember God's promises. So this brings me back then. Some of you have heard the whole building here right now. The reason we built this and didn't stay in our location is because of another dream that God gave Chris and I in 1988. And I know if you're like new to this and you're thinking, does every time Pastor John have a dream, we have to build something or move someplace? No, it does not mean that. I, I have very few dreams, but this was another spiritual dream. And in this dream, uh, those who remember it, uh, we were still in Florida. Chris and I were in our very first full-time position. It was not going well. I don't have time to explain all of that. I didn't think we were going to stay in ministry. Uh, it was We were failing is what was happening. And we had gone to bed sort of in that place where it was not going well. And in the middle of the night, in the sweltering heat of Florida, the Lord visited us. And I began to have a dream. Jesus came in my room, stood next to me. Now, I, I didn't look up and see him. I cannot describe to you what he looks like, but it was the Lord. And if you go, how do you know it was the Lord? All I can say to you is, if Jesus ever visits you in a dream, you'll know. You, you will know it's Jesus. You, you will know. When, when the trumpet sounds and his voice calls us home, you will know. You'll know it's Jesus. And so he stands next to me and he begins to talk to me. He tells me, you're not a failure. You're right where you need to be right now. And he began to show me things about my future, which this, this is 1988, right? I'm 24 years old. It was so far in the future. What I saw, we, we were training people 
for ministry. We were training people for revival. We were training people in the things that I'm teaching you to be free, to be set free, to live the abundant life God had called them to live, to do the things God had called them to do. It was so far in the future. And compared to where we were in present time, it's like, how could this ever take place? And then the Lord said this to me. So you'll know this is me and not you. I'm giving Chris the same dream right now. Now, now I, I know you're thinking, come on, Pastor. I, all I, I, it's not my job to convince you. All I can do is just tell you. You decide what you're going to believe. But I didn't wake her up and say, hey, I'm having a dream and Jesus is speaking to me. What's he telling you? That's cheating. All I did was open my eyes. I was facing in. I'm giving you too much information about our bed right now. She's facing me. I opened my eyes and she opened hers. And I said, are you having a dream? And she said, yes. What are you dreaming? without priming the pump. I mean, if we have to prime the pump, then, then why do we need God? And, and so what are you dreaming? And she says to me, you are standing in front of a very large room and we are training people and they are coming in and they are coming out and it's as far back as you can see. Dude, can you imagine? I'm like, ah, come up out of the bed. I'm looking for a pen. I'm looking for paper, trying to write it all down. And it's so far in the future. And those of you that have walked this walk with us over the years, you know how many times I have tried to make that thing happen, thinking maybe if I just start it, God will do it. I, I've tried to start training. I've tried to do different teaching things. We've launched churches. I've tried to do all of these things. The timing wasn't right. Listen, sometimes God gives us a promise and it's not supposed to happen in a day or a week or a year. You want to know what you really are? You are a steward of the seed that God puts in your hand. Everything that we have around us, we are stewards of. Go back to the book of Genesis and look at it. We're stewards of the earth. We're stewards of each other. We're stewards of everything God puts in our hand. But most importantly, we're stewards of the word that God puts in our heart. And the enemy works over time. The Bible says the seed of God goes out and the enemy comes immediately to steal the seed. Pay attention right now. He comes immediately to steal the seed. And if you don't protect the promise, the devil will steal that seed and you will never live out that promise. The hardest thing we ever did in ministry was to steward a promise of God that took 30 years to bring to completion. Can you imagine 30 years to bring it to completion? More than 30 years. Dreams come true. Hold on to them in your heart. Steward them. Let God bring them out. It's bigger than you can imagine. It's greater than you could ever build. It's more than you could ever speak into existence. Only God is able to do what God can do. And our best days, guys, if you knew what God has intended for this season, for this time and for our lives, you, it, 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 would, it would blow your mind. It would blow your mind. Most people give up or give in and they forget what God has told them. So I need to stop right now. And with the Holy Spirit, what has God put in your heart that you've given up on, given in, or let slip away? Because the Lord is telling you that Jubilee, this church, why we exist, it is a time to be free, but it's also a time to go back to the promises. What are the promises of God that you used to believe in, but you no longer care for, you no longer steward, you no longer pray about, you no longer go for? Is it a person in your family? Is it, is it a promise of, of something that God, is it ministry? What is it that God has put in your heart that you forgot about, that you gave up on, that you said is just impossible? I stand as a witness to the fact that it's not impossible. It's not impossible. God can do it. What has God said? The last one, 
And the one that just, this is the one that's yet to come. It's the one that I've not experienced yet, but I want to experience it. You go back to your family, back to your clan. Here's what I want to prophesy over Jubilee. We are family. A vision that I have for this next season is a church within a church. I've not experienced it in our church. It's probably the weakest part of our church. A church that, that helps pastor itself that doesn't rely on just people who get paid or a a few people who are in leadership, but a church that helps pastor itself. Uh, A a few years ago, we had a teacher who came and taught the staff the idea of dealing with how the brain operates in our life. It's it's kind of a newer uh, uh, area of science that we're learning about right now. But one of the things that he said is that little babies, they learn to bond to the one whose face lights up. Uh, whenever, whenever they come into contact with them. And a child who doesn't have someone who lights up, whose eyes twinkle, who smiles at them, in place of that joy, they learn to bond to fear. And you, you know in this world today, we have two kinds of people. People who are bonded to joy. They're joyful people. No matter what happens, they can hold on to their joy. Even when it's difficult and everything hurts, deep inside them is a joy. Not a happiness, maybe, but a joy that can't be stolen. And then there's people who are so full of fear. And as times get darker and more and more evil is abundant, they become more fearful and more fearful. And they're just they're, and they love Jesus, but they're just frozen in fear. And then here's... Here's what it's going to look like. Here's what I'm working for when we move into this building. One of the things that we're going to do is to develop nurturers. Nurturers are people who provide the drink when you come in and you're thirsty. and I let they, Their face lights up. Their eyes twinkle. When you walk in the door, this is the place where you can receive the nurturing that you need. And listen to this. If you have bonded to fear rather than joy, I've got great news for you. 1 John 4.18 says this. God's love has no fear because perfect love kicks out or expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. Listen to this. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. If you are afraid and you are afraid that you're going to be punished or that you're going to miss it or that God is against you or it's not working your way, it's because you're not experiencing the love of God. And the way that he wants us to do that, the perfect love is through other people who love us. Jubilee is that place. And that's what I want, and that's what I'm, I'm shouting it to you right now. It's where we're going in the future. And I admit to you, it's maybe been our weakest thing, right? I, I know that I feel that way, and I know our staff feels that way, and people feel that way. But it's yet to be harnessed as a church. But I think that's because this is the time for it. It wasn't the time, but now is the time. This is the year of Jubilee. Jesus is the Jubilee. In the Old Testament, they had to wait once every 50 years. Jesus is the permanent Jubilee. Guys, I, I, it's a lot. I have given so much, given so fast. Can you see that I broke out in a sweat? So it's the first time Pastor John has sweated in the new building too. It will not be the last. But this is, this is the heart. This is what God wants. This is what we're going to do. And I know you watch this message maybe from your house this weekend. Maybe you gathered with a few friends. Maybe you're watching it a couple of weeks later and it's after the fact. I'm still telling you the truth. In a very short time, you will stand and hold this baby and all that's come before it, you will forget about all of the other things that came before it as you hold the baby. And I'm standing in it right now. It's real and it's true. It's not waiting to be built. It's not waiting to to get enough money. It's not waiting until this or that is done. It's done. We need 
the supply chain to cooperate, but we're this close to that being done right now. In fact, there's electricity in the building. How about that? And so folks, uh, it's just, it's exciting. The time is now. We're so close. I, I just hold on. It's gonna be such a celebration, such a good time. In fact, we're gonna celebrate for so long, you'll be tired of celebrating by the time that we're done with this. So I love you, I bless you, so let me pray. Father, we just ask right now, the Lord, as we stand at this precipice in this time, with you doing so much that we're supposed to be celebrating and rejoicing, God, I commit it to your hands. Lord, our church right now is so spread out all over the place. People are traveling at their house, Lord, listening to it maybe in their car. Lord, maybe people are discouraged thinking it's never going to happen. Maybe some are even at the point of thinking, I, I'm just going to give up. It's just, it's too long. Church, I, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry that it's taken so long. I'm sorry that it couldn't have been sooner. But I know God's timing is perfect. And I know that he knows what he's doing. And I know that I'm standing right now in the fulfillment of a vision. Not at the end of it, but at the very beginning of it. And our best days are in front of us. Church, we should be celebrating right now because of all that God is going to do in our midst. If we only knew how close we are, if we only knew. So Father, pull us together again. Father, fill our hearts with hope. Fill our hearts with faith. Fill our lives, God, with your love and your peace, <laughs> your perfect timing. And God, we look forward to the day when we're all gathered together here very soon, celebrating, worshiping, <laughs> rejoicing, our children running and playing. Lord, adults that actually just, are, they've got space. Lord, we can dream in this place and we can build in this place. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.